Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young-onset Parkinson's called Rebound. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader? Audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. For a while now, I've been trying to figure out exactly how to define my place in the NBA media landscape these days. Once upon a time, I wrote, first as a beat writer, and then as a senior writer with ESPN the Magazine and subsequently Bleacher Report. I'm still writing, just not stories on the NBA. Once upon a time, I was also a newsbreaker, something I never aspired to be, but my competitive juices led me into anyway. Then I was a sideline reporter, followed by a radio show host. Now I'm primarily on FS1 TV and radio as an NBA analyst and occasional show host. But I've never felt analyst quite captured the information that I try to impart when it comes to the league, whether it be on the TV shows or radio or here on the podcast. Yeah, I can pinpoint how a game was won or lost, the strategy that did or didn't work, the team sets and individual fundamentals that were or weren't executed. But I also try to provide context to the breaking news you hear or the stories you might read elsewhere based on what I know about how stories are broken and where they come from. In essence, I try to help fans know how seriously they should take any piece of news that might come their way. And sometimes I'll even make a few calls to find out what the real skinny is behind a particular story. So I'm going to wrap up the podcast by sharing how I sometimes have to go about figuring out just how much weight to give a story and apply it to a particular story in the news right now and how I hope to share my findings with you going forward. But first, I want to get to the pair of Game 2's Monday night because there was a common element that had a lot to do with how they turned out. The Nuggets 
beating the Portland Bla uh, Tra Trailblazers, tying that series at one game apiece, now going back to Portland, and the Milwaukee Bucks taking a 2-0 lead over the Miami Heat. I often talk about missing the physicality of the NBA game, how it has been basically legislated out. Well, game two of the Bucks Heat series, we got a little revival, as much as I think as we're going to get. Now, looking at the box score, you'd naturally assume this was all about three-pointers and that the Bucks mollywhopped the Heat by raining threes on them, 22 in all, while shooting 41%, and holding Miami to a mere eight three-pointers. Difference of, I can do the math here, 14 three-pointers is pretty distinctive in, the, in one single department. And yes, that was a big part of their offense. But the reason they demoralized the Heat and never let them back in after staking a 46-20 first quarter lead is that they met their physicality and refused to either bend to it or get hot about it. In true Pat Riley fashion, the Heat weren't about to take their beating without trying to return some pain of their own. Coach Eric Spolstra had them trapping the ball any time it found its way to a corner or near a sideline, backcourt or frontcourt. And they trapped hard. They were jostling the ball handler, body on body, giving him no room to move. And time and again, the Bucks were strong with the ball, pivoted, squirmed their way between the bodies, and then swung the ball and took advantage of the heat, now trying to guard the other four Bucks with three players. That, as much as anything, is why they ended up with so many threes wide open threes is because they met the physicality of the heat and they beat it at one point trevor ariza wrapped up Giannis antetokounmpo and took him to the floor with the two of them sliding into the stanchion earning a flagrant one and when ariza got up he essentially did a push-up on Giannis's chest and thigh Giannis simply stared at him like are you crazy he could have gone a lot of different ways he didn't Bucks GM John Horst, oh, by the way, shout out to Giannis. Uh, after having a miserable free throw shooting performance in game one, uh, I, take, I, I appreciate that he continued to be willing to get fouled, wasn't afraid to go to the free throw line, and made just enough of them for them to eke out that victory. And then he comes back tonight and makes six of seven. I'm telling you, Giannis is a different player this year than he was a year ago uh, as are the Bucks in general Bucks GM John Horst has done a nice job of surrounding Giannis with players who have the physique to absorb the kind of physical pressure that the Heat are known for and put on them in game two Drew Holiday is a he's a he's a quiet personality he's a big physical point guard he's good with physical contact Bryn Forbes is a cinder block at 6'2", 205 pounds. P.J. Tucker needs no introduction after being the Houston Rockets bouncer for the last three and a half seasons. Even Bobby Portis, lanky at 6'10", and 250 pounds, has an appetite for physical contact. The guys that left to make room for these new additions, Kyle Korver, Marvin Williams, George Hill, Wes Matthews, were either physical-ish or not at all more floor spacers and high IQ guys. The new additions are physical, 
can shoot from range and still have enough athleticism to run the floor. I don't think it's an accident that they held on to Pat Connaughton. He fits the description that I just gave you. Physical, can shoot from range, has plenty of athleticism to run the floor. The Heat, surprisingly, have moved actually in the opposite direction if you look at their roster. They bet on Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, uh, young revelations in the bubble, perhaps expecting to springboard off their surprisingly effective first years. And, well, that, that bet has not played out. They've either flatlined or regressed. And teams have figured out that as good as they are as shooters, they can be exploited at the defensive end because they are not physical players whatsoever. Physical players, Kelly Olenek and Jay Crowder, who were equally, equally important cogs in Miami's run of the finals last year as Robinson and Hero, and I'd say especially Crowder, are physical players. And they're not here. Crowder is in Phoenix, and you're seeing him have a similar effect on them that he had on the Heat. And Kelly Olenek has wound up in Houston. I hope for his sake he winds up someplace where he can contribute in a more meaningful way again. But I don't think anyone in the Heat organization would argue that they miss Crowder or Olenek for that matter. The Nuggets, meanwhile, hoping to even their series with the Blazers, just as the Heat were hoping to do with the Bucks, also took a similar let's get physical approach. Denver, by and large, is not a particularly physical team, particularly this year. But there's certainly more of one than the Blazers. And I don't know that you could find two more annoying guards than Facundo, Facundo, Campazzo, and Austin Rivers. They clearly think they're not doing their jobs unless whoever they're playing gets in their face or pushes them away at some point. Which I believe happened on more than one occasion last night. I know what happened between Damian and Austin Rivers at one point. Even Nikola Jokic, who usually plays more of a big man finesse game, spinning and wheeling his way to the basket, looked to go through the chest of Yusuf Nurkic and Ennis Cantor more in Game 2, and did so effectively. The Blazers, meanwhile, didn't absorb the punishment well. Both C.J. McCollum and Carmelo Anthony were assessed flagrant fouls at different points, and Nurkic fouled out with almost 10 minutes left. There's a way to meet physical pressure with physical action, but not to do it in an emotional way, in an out-of-control way, in a reactive way. And that describes the Blazers last night, which is a shame because it erased a incredible performance by Damian Lillard shooting threes, had eight in the first half, uh, at least tying or breaking Vince Carter's record for most threes and a half in a playoff game. I should know what he start, he finished with, and I don't off the top of my head. But it's really not important in my book because they didn't win. Now, we often see the game become more physical in the playoffs, and this year appears to be no different, which in the East, favors the 76ers, Knicks, and I would say the renovated Bucks. The Nets and Hawks, not so much. In the West, the Grizzlies, Clippers, and Lakers are the teams best equipped to handle a more physical style. It doesn't mean all those teams will advance, 
but I would look for them to do better than maybe you expected or to see just how far the, offici- uh, the officiating and the officials will let them go in that department. Finally, I promised to talk about a story and how I try to vet how important it is, how much stock I should put in it, where I should place it in the NBA universe. And that story is Donovan Mitchell being furious about the Jazz holding him out of game one, thinking that he was not physically ready yet, coming coming back from injury. Now, anytime a superstar expresses unhappiness in a market like Utah, antenna go up across the land, including in Salt Lake City. Fans, jazz fans, get worried. GMs, get hopeful, start making calls. It's the way it works. Since the days, and especially in Utah, since the days of Stockton and Malone, star-free agents haven't exactly beaten a path to the Jazz, nor have they made a habit of staying. And I dare say that Darren Williams uh, deciding that he wanted to leave and uh, doing it the way he did to the late Jerry Sloan, I have to believe that that still leaves a mark on Jazz fans' hearts. I also believe that's a big part of why this story about Donovan resonated as much as it did. Before Mitchell signed his max deal with the Jazz, there were rumors that he was unhappy and might test the market, which would have meant he was as good as gone, because I know of several teams that would have jumped at the chance to get him. There was precedent. But this is what you need to take into consideration when weighing the import of the story. This is not the first time Mitchell's reaction to an event concerning his health was presented as a forlorn fire. Previous time was when he discovered that he had contracted COVID-19 from teammate Rudy Gobert. The word was that Mitchell felt so betrayed, he couldn't talk to Gobert and considered forcing the Jazz to move him rather than play another season with the Stifle Tower. I fully get that being someone's initial reaction, but Donovan apparently held onto it for months before finally working it out. I think it's fair to say that Donovan is the sensitive sort. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it would appear when he feels wronged, he feels it deeply and reacts accordingly. So what does his being furious or incensed, which are the words that were used in reference to his feelings about not being allowed to play, what do they mean in the big picture? What does that mean in the big picture? We could take it two ways. The first, not a lot, at least as far as Donovan's relationship with the Jazz is concerned. We've been down this road with him before, involving something far more potentially injurious than being sat for an extra game. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The other is, well... 
let's just explore this. The other is, it's a sign that he's still not happy and that things are not well. Now, this may be deep inside basketball, but I'll offer it, and you can do whatever you want with it. You can decide which direction you want to go. Normally, news of a player being unhappy comes from one of four places. The player's agent, a family member, an opposing team, or, on a rare occasion, the player himself. If it's an opposing team, well, that has to be taken with a huge grain of salt. Doesn't always mean it's wrong, but teams routinely try to sow discontent on other teams by putting out or passing along rumors about the opposition. You really have to know who you're talking to and do you trust them if you're getting that from some other organization. And you got to find a way to vet it. You got to find a way to get it from somebody else. Uh, a one source on that is not good enough. You're, that's, you're getting yourself in trouble there. Family members can be a little tricky too because you have to know if they have a particular agenda and what it might be. What I found interesting about the ESPN report is that it came from Tim McMahon and Brian Windhorst and not Adrian Wojnarowski. Woj's name was nowhere near it, which the times that I see a story by ESPN, if it's not by Woj, it's in conjunction. Woj is doing it with somebody else. I'm almost to the point where I was convinced that he has some kind of contractual thing where anything that's reported by ESPN involving the NBA, he gets an opportunity to weigh in it or co-sign it. Now, the reason I was surprised that Woj would not be a part of it, aside from that, that he seems to be part of everything that they do with the NBA, is that Mitchell's agent is Ty Sullivan, who is with Creative Artists Agency. Now, Woj is repped by CAA as well. And as was revealed a few weeks ago, Woj is the beneficiary of a number of entities. The belief is that CAA is certainly one of them that feed him information. Now, I can just tell you, I belong to the Wasserman Media Group, WMG. They represent me. They also represent a ton of NBA players and players in a multitude of sports. I can't say that they have ever given me a story to break. <laughs> we just, they don't feed me. If I try to find something else out, they may help me, but I have to know what it is that I'm looking for. And even then, not they don't go out of their way. Um, and I, in a way, understand it. They're hired to represent me and uh, to, to find me employment and negotiate my contracts, not to feed my work. Or because, in a way, that is a trespass of their other clients. So I wouldn't want them giving information about me. Not that I could see it benefiting uh, an NBA player, but who knows? Wouldn't want them utilizing information about me in order to benefit uh, someone else, without my knowledge, at least, anyway. So it's a little bit different. And I don't say any of that to denigrate Woj's reporting or how he's established himself as the premier newsbreaker of NBA news. 
It's just there's there's no way you have his track record strictly tracking down and digging out stories on your own. You have to have large entities who decide they want you to break whatever news they have and give it to you first. Now, what I didn't know is that ESPN apparently leverages its relationships to make sure Woj is fed. And that certainly wasn't the case when I was there. It was every man or woman for himself. And I suspect ESPN actually enjoyed the competition among us at the time. We worked together now and then if some of us simultaneously got information on the story. But there weren't a ton of shared bylines. And in any case, from what I'm, I've been told, it's very different there now. I say all that because if Mitchell or his representation wanted it out there that he was upset, I certainly would expect them to go through Woj. Which means McMahon and Windhorse got it from a different avenue. It wouldn't be the Jazz, of course, because why would they want to ad advertise that their best player is unhappy with the team? So where did it come from? Another Jazz player? Maybe. Someone else's agent? Maybe. An executive from another team? Maybe. And this is also not to denigrate either Windhorst or McMahon. From what I've seen, they're both really good at vetting their sources on stories. But the combination of not being clear on exactly where they got that information, other than being fairly certain it didn't come from Mitchell or his agent, and Mitchell's history of being severely wounded and getting over it puts this story in one or as one that deserves to be kept in a back file to draw upon should anything else happen, but not seeing it as an indicator of anything else just yet. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We have a great slate of games coming up. Boston at Brooklyn, Lakers at the Suns, Mavs and the Clippers. And I will do my best to extract something for you to hear here that you won't anyplace else. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.